The Gospel according to Luke, chapter 9, verses 26 through 28. Now about eight days after these sayings, Jesus took with him Peter, John, and James, and went up to the mountain to pray. And while he was praying, the appearance of his face changed, and his clothes became dazzling white. Suddenly, they saw two men, Moses and Elijah, talking to him. They appeared in glory and were speaking of his departure, which, which he was about to accomplish at Jerusalem. Now Peter and his companions were weighed down with sleep, but since they had stayed awake, they saw his glory and the two men who stood with him. Just as they were leaving him, Peter said to Jesus, Master, it is good for us to be here. Let us make three dwellings, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. Not knowing what he said. While he was saying this, a cloud came and overshadowed them. And they were terrified as they entered the cloud. Then from the cloud came a voice that said, This is my son, my chosen. Listen to him. When the voice had spoken, Jesus was found alone. And they kept silent in those days. Told no one any of the things they had seen. The gospel of the Lord. You know, as we look in this message on this series, we're ending this series, Enlightenment. Have you ever become an expert in a certain subject that you're struggling with? There's sometimes in life that with the tremors and my congenital heart valve disease, and I had two what we call TIA attacks, which are many strokes, you start to do research and try to become an expert in the particular areas. You talk to certain people about it, you talk to heart surgeons about it, you have multiple questions, and so therefore you become an expert on that subject that you're struggling with or that subject that you enjoy. And so when you do this, what you're looking for is certainty. That all of a sudden I have a full understanding why I have a congenital heart valve disease, I have a full understanding what the progress is going to be. I have a full understanding on what I need to do to prevent or slow, slow down the surgery. And you would think that certainty would give you this incredible peace. You ever tried that? Where you're certain about your medical condition, but it doesn't give you peace? For some reason, we have this certainty that we strive for. We want to know absolutes. And so, therefore, it's interesting, in the 38 years of ministry that I've been in, that we've had people that have had cancer and have healed from cancer, and then we've had people that have passed away from cancer. And so, therefore, when somebody has cancer, they go to an expert in the medical field, and they, and they sit there and make a plan, and they say, I'm going to trust this information, and they do it. But the same certainty they get from an expert, there's always another expert on the other side that says, no, this is a way of doing things. It's not doing the medical thing, it's doing the natural thing. So therefore, you have two experts that have the knowledge that says, this is what you need to do. Have you ever been in that position? You go, I don't know who to believe. And so the certainty is not there. Not only do we do this in medical ways, but we also do this in religion. That all of a sudden there's experts in, 
and interpreting certain scriptures in a certain way, or political, that we become an expert in environmental things, or an expert into the wall, or an expert into anything, and therefore you are right. The certainty in our lives does not give us the peace that passes all understanding. We as Christians look for certainty. Now in the gospel, it's fascinating to me because I've told you many times that the word of God cracks me up. And this one, this whole scripture of Jesus' transfiguration on the mountaintop. Because if you look at the symbolism of the transfiguration and read the scripture, it is really powerful. Because we read this, it was Jesus going through a transfiguration, but he's talking to two men from the Old Testament that just popped up and are alive now, and they were dead thousands of years. It was Moses, who I talked about in the baby dedication, and Moses was, had a leaning towards a right-wing thinking. He had a leaning towards the law, and so the law was the thing. And then all of a sudden, Jesus is talking to Moses, but he's also talking to Elijah, which Elijah was a prophet and who was about reform and change. And so in a sense, you look at Elijah as a liberal and you look at Moses as a conservative, yet Jesus is in the middle of two of these men talking. It's fascinating to me how all of a sudden it's Elijah and Moses. And so it's pretty obvious what the story is telling us. If you look on the screen, the story of transfiguration is telling us to let go of our certainties and focus on Jesus, who is love. When our focus remains on Christ, we will too will undergo a transformation into love. That's where it gets fascinating because Elijah and Moses just disappeared and all we had was Jesus in the middle. And Jesus is known for love. It's really powerful. Now, follow me on the scripture, because I like this story, and I think it's quite funny, if you ask me, because right now we were at a major fundraiser uh, last night for Savings Innocence, and we didn't get home till way past midnight, and it's not very good for me to get, I'm tired. <laughs> That's all I can say, I'm tired. But it, this is where I understand what Peter was talking about. Now, Peter and his companions were weighed down with sleep. These guys were exhausted. But since they had stayed away, they saw his glory and two men who stood with him. Just as they were leaving him, Peter said to Jesus, Master, it is good for us to be here. Let us make three dwellings, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. Now get this, not knowing what he said. He had no idea what he just said. Have you ever done that? What? I have no idea. I can't repeat. I have no idea what I said to you, and I'm sorry if it hurt you. I have no idea. But two observations that I, I've knew when you look at Peter here. First observation, he's going for certainty here. He says it's good to be here. He knew it. It's good to be here. And the second thing he's certain about, he wants to stay here. You ever had those moments in life? Everything's perfect. And I'm talking about moments. I'm not talking about days. I'm talking about moments. Where you just, I wanted to go there. I wanted, it's, it's like driving on the 405 freeway Thanksgiving morning at 4 in the morning. It's just perfect. I want that moment to last forever. And so the second thing, he said, let's stay here. And usually when people are certain about something, they blab a lot about it, don't they? 
If you ever talk to a conservative person, they'll talk about it. Talk to a liberal, they'll talk about it. If you want me to talk about, about electric cars, I'll talk about it. I've had my third electric car. I can talk about it nonstop because I'm certain I know everything about electric cars. But nobody cares. <laughs> okay? Nobody really cares. And so follow me on the screen. When we, when we are certain about something, we tend to start running off our mouth trying to convince everyone else about what we are certain of. Peter, at that moment, that he thought what he wanted. He knew what he wanted, and he was certain with what he wanted. And he wanted to stay in that moment. Now, follow me on the screen. Peter wanted to camp out on his certainty. We all tend to want to pitch our tents on what we think we know, but God had a funny way of coming around and posting these no camping signs where we want to pitch our tents. I want to have a mountaintop experience, and I want to stay on the mountaintop. You know the old saying, the grass is greener on the other side? I like the other side because it is greener. It looks greener. My whole thing, I, I would love to live here. I would love to live there because it looks perfect. What does God do? Now, here, here follow me on the screen. Oh, I'm sorry, you already did. What does God do? Why does God remove our certainty? Why does God put the no camp out signs? Because on the screen, God wants to keep us in the reality of the moment where life is actually lived. And once we are certain about something, we tend to lose touch with that reality because what we think we know is only partly true. It's not all we know. Remember a few weeks ago, I, I shared about the love chapter, 1 Corinthians chapter 13, which most of us, if we're married, that's the scripture that we read. Uh, about love, and it's basically on a, we, we focus on, on our marriage, which is a, from an erotic love, which is a transactional love at times, and so this, this First Corinthians, it's not a transactional love, it's an agape love, it's a love that doesn't demand anything back, it's a sacrificial love, and we fully don't understand nor experience that love with one another. And so God puts up these no camping signs to get us out of the certainty of our heads into the reality of what is going on right now in the present moment. We're only guaranteed today, this moment. So the next verse, this is what cracks me up. Now Peter wants to stay in this moment, right? Peter wants to pitch tents. He wants to live in this moment. Now follow me, because this does, it gets funny. Verse 34. While he was saying this, while he was in the midst of this, okay, not that he had this long moment. This is a millisecond of this tranquility, of this peace. Follow me. While he was saying this, a cloud came and overshadowed them. So this moment of certainty is gone in a second. And they were terrified as they entered the cloud. So that tranquility, that certainty was gone in a millisecond for Peter. This is where all of a sudden, while he was still blabbing about how perfect and wonderful this is, it's not wonderful anymore. There's a cloud. And I look at this and I go, there's many times your pastor, when he goes, I'm having a moment of greatness. I'm having a moment of goodness. I'm having a moment that I'm the most wonderful pastor on the planet. And then all of a sudden, there's a cloud within a second. Somebody says something. Somebody hurts, someone dies, or something, or a phone call. 
just moves a cloud right into the presence of me. And I'm confused. Have you ever been there? That I don't know what's going on. And so this is where life just moves forward at times. And this cloud overshadowed them. And so back on the screen, suddenly the story shifts from Peter's certainty to a terrifying uncertainty and disorientation. One moment Peter thought he saw everything clearly. The next moment he could hardly see the hand in front of his face. This is why we think there's safety and certainty. There's not. In fact, time moves on. I just remember the first time I got married in 1988 with my first marriage. I was certain that that marriage was going to last forever. I was certain that, that she was going to be completely faithful because we were two Christians serving the Lord together. I was certain that I would be the poster child to have a, a perfect little marriage that they would say, how do you guys do it? Well, will you just trust God? And then three years later, a huge cloud came over of uncertainty. A huge cloud came over of fear. A huge cloud of despair came over. Sometimes when we're certain about things in life, it really isn't certainty, is it? And so I wanted to camp out in my vision of what my life should be. I wanted to camp out and say, this is how I want everyone to see me. This is how I want to be. And so most of my certainties is based on my belief, on, on my interpretation of Scripture. Because I thought in my head that if I go to church and if I become a pastor and I serve him, then my life, I wouldn't have to go through the suffering. I'm giving this to the Lord. I'm trusting God. This is why we get mad at God when things don't go right. We go, why did God allow this? It's terrifying. And so therefore, it, 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 it just challenges us. But here's the thing. It's not the times of certainty where our faith tends to grow the most. It's the time of the cloud when it comes over that our faith grows. We are called to live by faith, not certainty. And this is where I, 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 I begged to differ with a lot of people. In order to live by faith, you have to have doubt, right? Because if you don't have doubt, then you have certainty. And so in order for me to grow, I have to be, I have to doubt myself. I have to doubt my abilities. I have to doubt a lot of things in order to live by faith. And so this is where your relationship starts to grow tremendously when that cloud is over us. This is where the faith begins. See, back on the screen, when we can't see clearly, that is when we tend to hear God's voice the most. When I lost everything, I was the tightest with God because the church abandoned me, my friends abandoned me, everything abandoned me, my denomination abandoned me. All I had was God. Because my identity was being a pastor. My identity was being a, a, a husband. My identity was being living in a home. My identity it was in my financial wealth, which wasn't much. But when you lose all that, you've got to figure where your identity is then. My identity was established, reestablished in God. This is where 
where I love what a voice from heaven said when Peter was in the cloud. It said this, 35. Then from the cloud came a voice and said, this is my son, my chosen. Listen to him. That's all we have to do in the cloud is we have to listen to him. Because it's not about certainty. If I have certainty, I'm not, I'm not listening to anybody because I know what I want to do with my life. I know where I'm going. But man, when I'm uncertain about things and I'm having doubt, then I need to really listen to Jesus. Follow me back on the screen. When we go through uncertain times, it gives us the opportunity to hear the voice we often drown out with our certainty of thoughts. We hear three things. You are my child, you are loved and chosen by me, and listen to the voice of love. Now, this is where I had to really listen. But I don't know if you've ever met people that talk to you about religious certainty, that they know Scripture like the back of their hand. And whatever you believe, they don't believe you. <laughs> and so, therefore, they will argue with Scripture. I have it all the time. And guess what I get? <laughs> My ex-father-in-law will not stop calling me. I got divorced in 1995. That's a long time ago. He'll call me every month. I go, are you serious? Because I'm not a big fan of this guy. And so, therefore, what he does, he goes, you know, you're still part of the family. And I go, I don't want to be. <laughs> I really don't want to be part of your family. It's whacked. And so, therefore, I was in the sanctuary. And I called him back. And Jennifer goes, what do you call? I go, I don't know. I'm just... Sadomasochist, I have no idea. <laughs> and so he calls me, and he starts giving these a certainty. And I started talking about women in ministry, and I didn't think we would get in a big argument. Well, sure enough, he started off on saying, that is not a biblical interpretation. You guys don't know, you guys. You guys don't know what you're doing. You guys don't understand scripture. <laughs> So I go, I'm not going here. And then, I, and then I started getting bratty. Have you ever got bratty? Like I'm going to go for the throat here? The guy's 300 pounds. So I said to him, I said, you know, it's interesting. You know, I'm studying about gluttony. <laughs> and I, I just said that. And I, this is what I was going to, you know, because with the medical things that I, I need to lose weight and stuff like this. And. And he goes, oh, don't be going gluttony on me. And this is what he said. He goes, you know, it's just I heard of someone on gluttony. There's always the people that are gluttony are the ones that have never struggled with weight, that go out there, they're exercise freaks out there, they're telling you how to live. That's not the interpretation of gluttony. Gluttony is the interpretation of when they overeat, and they go out and throw up, and then they eat again. That's the definition of gluttony. Wow, I'm not getting anywhere with this one. And then I told him, we have no judgment, just love. And so that was because he was judging. You know, so was I with Glenn, if you think about it. And, and, and so, so, so he talks about, what do you mean just love? And I go, we're supposed to speak the truth in what? Love. And so it's all about love. So even this love that we have is challenging with religious people. That they want to challenge you on everything you do. So following on, this, on, the, on the screen, many Christians are not growing in Christ-like love because they have chosen to camp out in their biblical knowledge and their dogmatic certainty rather than tune into the voice of Christ. 
And so a lot of people that study the Bible are looking for certainty, and it has nothing to do with applying to their own life. It's about applying to other people's lives. And so one thing I've noticed is that if I go, I got this aha moment in my life that's changing me, well, I don't want it to change me. It needs to change you. And so, therefore, I'm going to control you in a certain situation. The Word of God is for transformation of you, not to be applying it to others first. You can't do that. When I get up and preach a sermon, if I'm not living, living it, I'll tell you I'm not living this, or I'm struggling with this, or we're working together on this. And so this is important to understand that when it comes to stop applying stuff to others, and start living a consistent life of Christ-likeness and loving one another. Love is a powerful, powerful direction of the Holy Spirit. Love transforms and changes people, not judgment. There's no way it does. Once I feel loved and once I feel cared about, then, man, I'm open to the manifestation of the Holy Spirit that I will understand to be transformed by the renewing of my heart. And so this is where, if you're interested, I want to talk about Grace Track for a minute. And Reuben was telling me, it's not Grace Track, it's Grace Track. He didn't say it that way. <laughs> so it's Grace Track instead of Track. Spelled T-R-E-K. But I'm going to give you a free preview. We're going to start Grace Track uh, right before Easter. And basically, it's how to hear God speak to you through the Word of God is part of it, and how to listen to Christ, and how to pray. And so if you're interested in that, uh, we want to send you something on, on our connection card so you can fill that out, and we can forward it to you. But follow me on Scripture again. Verse 36 says, When the voice had spoken, Jesus had found, was found alone, and they kept silent in those days. They told no one any of the things that they had seen. On the next day, they came, they, they had come down from the mountain, and a great crowd met them. This is where Peter was totally transformed, was totally changed, was totally restored in order to restore. And guess what? He stopped babbling. He stopped saying, I'm certain of this. He was silent, which was amazing. And he became what God called him to become. And so, therefore, he was transformed. He was enlightened by Jesus. And so he went from certainty to living a life of faith. And so and afterwards, he couldn't speak of it. It was too personal. It was too profound. And he was caught in the mystery of love. Follow me on the screen. The sign that a person has been enlightened is that they tend to talk less about certainties, and they begin to speak more with the right and loving actions. The gospel stories of Matthew, Mark, and Luke show the mountaintop transfiguration as a turning point. Jesus leads Peter, James, John down to the mountain toward this loving action on the cross. That's where the enlightenment leads. Back on the screen. Enlightenment leads us through the cross to the resurrection. This is Christ's pattern here. Our certainties are often low-key, designed to keep us from going to the cross. But back on the screen, when we are camped out in our religious certainties, we will never die to them. 
It will never die to them. We will never be raised to a life of faith which produces the fruit of what? Love. I don't need dogmatic people in my life. I live in this world. We have full of dogmatic people. I need to be loved for who I am. I need to be brought into Christ's presence. I, look, the world judges me. If you have difficulties like I do, tremors and all this stuff, and I go to doctors, I'm getting judged all the time. I don't need it from the church. You don't need it from the church either. The story of transfiguration of Jesus there teaches about his own transfiguration that happens when we begin to really listen to Christ. That is when we become love at each moment. Lent starts Wednesday. And I've noticed that Brooke put get your ash in church. Do you notice that? <laughs> and he puts it all on Facebook, and I'm going, you know what? I'm the top dog here. I'm going to get nailed. It's funny. But am I going to get, get your ash in church? Well, if you want to get your ash in church Wednesday, you'll get your ash in church. Right? <laughs> you know I'm going to hell for that right now. <laughs> but Brooke did it. That's how I'm going to be in line for heaven when Jesus goes, what's happening? I go, it's Brooke. Brooke. <laughs> That's Brooke. If I'm going down, he's going down with me. So this is where on Ash Wednesday, we're, I'm starting a new series that I really want to start. You have potential. And I'm going to start the series called Potential. Because I have potential. I don't, I'm not living my potential. Because I have fear. There's a lot of potential that I have that, that God's ready to empower. And you too. And so we're going to focus on on potential. We have so much potential. Jesus said that in order for the seed to bear fruit, which I'm looking for, that seed must die. And so this, this series will lead us up to Easter. And so I want to encourage you when it comes to Easter. We're all on this journey of life. And we're all on this journey of restoration. We're all on this journey to be restored in order to restore. We're all in this journey of life. Let us encourage one another. Let us restore one another. Let us be a beacon in each other's lives. So let's stand up and close in prayer, and then we'll go into uh, uh, the, the sharing time. We're the peace of the people. No, we're not doing prayers of the people. What do they call it, the peace? Father, we thank you for this opportunity to get in your word. We thank you, Lord, for everything of who you are. And we just pray, Lord, that if any of us are in the midst of the cloud right now and that we have fear in our lives, I pray, Lord, that they will just listen to your voice now, that they are your beloved daughter, your beloved son, whom you're well pleased, that they know without a doubt you will never leave them nor forsake them, that they know without a doubt this is a season of my life. And I will become stronger because of it and through it. And I will move forward with your grace and glory. And that I can be transformed in my life through this cloud that I'm facing right now. I pray, Lord, that we will be more loving towards each other. 
more accepting towards one another, but we will allow the Holy Spirit to move us into a life that you've called us to live. We pray, Lord, that we, the sin that we're holding on, that we can be released in the name of Jesus. We thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. And everyone says.